This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Talk money to me. Hello and welcome to Talk Money to Me. I'm Candice Burke. And I'm Felicity Thomas. Now we thought given that there's been a lot going on in the markets, we wanted to bring you another macro and market update episode as always, we want our listeners to be well informed when it comes to your investments and portfolio. Yes, there's just so much going on at the moment for investors. When you're looking at recent headlines in the media, we understand it can be overwhelming, sometimes cause some panic. So we hope this episode brings you more clarity on what the data is telling us and ways in which we're positioning our clients' portfolios right now. That's right. We hope that we are a sound, sane voice as the market is very turbulent and uncertain at the moment. Now, before we get into the episode, a quick reminder, guys, as always, please remember our chat today is not considered personal advice, even though we are registered financial advisors at Shore & Partners. Whew, I need to breathe more in this disclaimer, Felicity. (laughs) (laughs) As always, guys, you know the drill, the podcast and what we discuss uh, on this show does not constitute as financial advice, nor is it a financial Product. Yes, it's based on facts known at the time of recording, which is the 28th of March, 2023. I already think 2023 has given me even more grey hairs than last year did, honestly. Go visit your salon. <laughs> All right, let's kick off this episode because we've got a lot to cover and unpack for you. So firstly, Felicity, I thought it was really important Uh, that we kind of just set the framework for today's conversation. We really want to stick to the facts and that's what we always stress with our clients because there's a lot of noise uh, in the market, right? So here are the latest macro data and facts. So last week, the CPI numbers that came out in the US were broadly overshadowed by the development and obviously major news coming out of the US with, you know, various bank runs like CVB, Signature Bank, Silvergate. We've also then since had concerns around Credit Suisse and now more recent news about Deutsche Bank. Nevertheless, the bank runs that we saw, the credit concerns still going on. Please remember, guys, and a lot of smart people are saying this, this will a one day pass. It doesn't feel like it right now because we're in the heat of the moment, but the markets will slowly focus back on the big word, the very topic we're all trying to target, which is inflation. So back to inflation, right, which is the real big challenge for 2023. Getting ahead of that curve, what I found interesting in the recent update by Jay Powell was the concept of the super core inflation Now, super core inflation is not a supernatural version of inflation. It sounds really hectic when you read on the headlines. It's actually, I promise you, way more boring than that. It is essentially services, less energy services and shelter. And this is the the fact, right? Super core inflation is only running at 3.86%. So that isn't as bad as the headline inflation figure that we keep reading about in the media. For the US, I think it's sitting at 6.04% at the moment. Yeah, exactly. And it came down from the peak of like 9, 10%. So we are obviously past peak inflation 
but when you pull back the layers, it's not as scary as what the headlines are saying. Can you also just explain for our listeners what shelter inflation actually means? Yeah, great idea. So shelter inflation is another term really that is outlining the effect of shelter costs on the overall CPI number. So shelter inflation is actually measured, keeping in mind, with a material lag, given half the properties in the sample size that are reviewed, that's about every six months or so. So you've got like this lag between six to 12 months before we can expect real market rents to flow into the CPI data and numbers. What the data is telling us now, again, we look like we're coming off the peak inflation crisis mode. So we are expecting official shelter inflation to start reflecting the slowdown in the markets and in rents in the next few quarters, again, due to this lag. Yeah. And I think the trouble is that central banks have a backwards looking toolkit when they're making their monetary and fiscal policy decisions here. How true, Felicity. And I guess as we know in capital markets, the market itself as 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 its nature, right? It does look forward. So it'll be really interesting to see the next US inflation figure to come out, which I think is expected to be released uh, on around the 12th, 11th of April. And here in Australia, we don't have to wait that long. Actually, the latest CPI data comes out tomorrow. I think the market's predicting and expecting around 7%. So we'll see if that is the case, watching that news as it develops in the next 24 hours. Yeah. So, I mean, that'll be one to watch. So that's CPI and the latest inflation figure update for you. Now, what we want to do is a markets update segment in which we've scanned the most bullish and bearish comments we can find about the overall global economy and markets. We'll also do a little bit of a questionnaire or a poll on our Instagram to see if you're a bull or a bear. I've actually been told... I'm an eternal optimist, so I'll cover off the bullish sentiments. But hey, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade, right? Yeah, and in your case, maybe tequila. I don't know how that would <laughs> taste, but well, that leaves me to be the negative Nancy, which I'm happy to do. All right, so FT, why don't you start us off summarising for us what the bulls are saying at the moment in the market this week? Okay, so this week there's no additional US bank failures and according to Fed balance sheet update, no incremental stress on bank deposits and limited strains on global dollar funding markets. Number two, the Fed's median dot for 2023 stayed at 5.1% despite expectations for an uptick and forward guidance in the FOMC statement featured a slightly dovish tweak that Powell emphasised in his press release. Then we've got three, the Fed pivot expectations gain more traction with over 100 basis points of rate cuts priced into year end. Gosh, that'll be nice. Roughly two thirds of QT has been reversed as Fed backup measures have led to balance sheet re-expansion. And number four? So number four, early Q1 reports are all beating consensus earnings estimates and surprisingly to the upside in aggregate over 8%, providing a positive read through for the upcoming earnings season. I mean, that was a bit of a nice relief for us. Number five, housing stabilisation. So this is seen as a key component of the softer landing narratives, supported by commentary of KB Home in line to better industry data and one month low in mortgage rates. So that is also another positive. So bull, bull, bull. That was really interesting seeing all the housing stocks in the US really rally in the last week or so. So hopefully we don't have this crash hard landing like uh, we were talking about a month ago and it's kind of revert, which is what this point's about. 
Now, number six, more contrarian signals from sentiment and positioning indicators with all bull bear spread deeply negative and near lows from late last year. So that's really good. Then my final point as why I'm a bull this year, according to Goldman Sachs, CTA positioning in the S&P short, which is negative 31 billion, is the lowest level of all time, while global hedge fund equity long short ratios near lows. So there are some opinions out there that see about 5.5% upside on the S&P reaching back to January highs. That would be nice, a 4,200 for the index. Yeah, that will be really interesting. And that kind of goes with what we were talking about uh, earlier this year, Felicity, that perhaps 2023 will be super volatile and you'll have kind of maybe on a quarterly basis kind of mini bull runs within the bear market. Um, But overall, it's just so hard, right, to tell how the rest of this year is going to play out just with all the level of uncertainty in the markets at the moment. Correct. And I think what we come back to basics here, right? Look at the company that you're investing in and the underlying balance sheet of that company. I mean, we did take profits in January for a lot of our clients so that we're well positioned with cash at the moment to actually take the opportunity when some of these goods companies are sold off in volatility due to market noise to actually buy more for the portfolio. So that's the latest of my bull comments. So how about the bears? What are the highlights? And what are they saying for potential downside risks? Well, the bears in terms of this week in the market are very much entrenched in their caves. The first point that's really (laughs) kind of screaming in the headlines is that the banking sell-off is only going to continue with the group overall hitting lows, not we've seen the market since around November 2020. Those are the levels on Friday and they think it's going to continue potentially in the next sort of weeks and months to come. While the CDS spikes were the big story in Europe following the forced Credit Suisse takeover by UBS over the weekend of the 11th and 12th of March with Credit Suisse 81 bonds, you know, bailing out basically. You know, it was quite funny. So UBS obviously said it was a takeover, but Credit Suisse said it was a merger. (laughs) It was an ambush. (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. (laughs) I know. Ambush, merger, takeover, failure, all these different headlines. The other thing that the bears are signaling at the moment is really the mixed messaging that we're getting from key and influential US officials surrounding the safety of uninsured deposits in their banking system, um, along with the continued concerns around the congressional appetite for a deposit insurance increase. So that'll be really interesting to watch. Always interesting US politics when it comes to these types of things. Yeah. You haven't sold me yet. (laughs) You're still a bull? (laughs) Still a bull. Okay, so the fourth bear point is that major central banks pushing ahead with their tightening despite the bank turmoil. So there's a lot of criticism that, you know, the fast aggressive rate hikes kind of broke the system and they're ignoring the banking crisis and they're still going to push ahead. So that's a concern that we're not going to pause or stop, which could means we're over rising in the rate market too much. Yeah, but they did pivot, right, with a 25 basis point rather than 50 basis points. So it'll be interesting. What's 25 bips going to do at the end of the day, really? Then the fifth point, the CRE has increasingly flagged that the next shoe has yet to drop. And Powell kind of dismissed this, but given both cyclical and structural headwinds and CMBS spreads are the highest levels since, you know, we've seen an early of the pandemic in 2020 um, and the lowest levels since the GFC. So that's a concern. We need to really keep watching. And that talk of the next shoe to drop is really flushing through the market still, I think. It's not going to be, you know, this whole credit crisis and the banking failure, um, question mark, and post 
post-traumatic stress that we're all feeling since the GFC, it's not going to go over anytime soon. So that's going to freak out the markets. That's true, but it's not the GFC. So we want to reiterate that it's not the GFC. And a lot of the major banks are doing really well, especially in Australia. What it's really going to do is it's going to get rid of a lot of these smaller banks and everyone's going to run to the larger banks. So it's going to be great for them. Well, what's interesting is that there's also more pushback against the notion of the Fed balance sheet re-expansing back into the QE movement, given the confinement to the banking system. So they've sort of said, look, you're on your own at the moment and that's giving concern. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we've been told the consumer is more resilient throughout 2022 and 2023, but now the theme's really starting to change given the latest data out of City from their credit card data showing the biggest decline in retail spending since the pandemic is now starting to happen. And there's discussion, you know, around what this means for the broader market and global economy. So there are many bearish calls out there at the moment. And when we skimmed the kind of universe and what the street thinks, there is a really dramatic call of a 25% fall and decline in the S&P 500 index back to like the 3000 levels, which was the levels that we hit in the beginning of the COVID March, April 2020 sell-offs. Remembering that the bottom was technically around sort of like mid-March, which it hit around 2,280. That's the S&P 500 index. So call for, you know, a major sell-off. But then again, this is the most bearish call I could find. Yeah, that's quite interesting. And because if that does happen, right, we're not going to have the QE like we did during COVID. So unless there's another black swan event, which there very well could be. I mean, we've had a lot. don't rule that out. In the last three, four years. When you throw in the geopolitical risk factors, you know, that's only just the start of it all. Very much so that could happen. Um, I guess we're not in the game of predicting markets. Markets. No one has a crystal ball. And what we really stand by, in our opinion, is, you know, if you look at the extremes, the bulls and the bears case, probably as history tells us, the actual reality and result for the landing in the markets over the next six to 12 months will probably land somewhere in the middle. And I'm in the camp um, and the growing belief in capital markets that all the recent bank failures in the US and, you know, the credit concerns and the tightening in lending, now we're seeing analysts downgrading their their banking ratings like CBA and Westpac, all the major ones here in Australia have just been downgraded. I think that that has kind of done a lot of the heavy lifting for the Fed. The market is so good at self-correcting. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. It definitely has. And I think it spooked a lot of investors. And, you know, in our opinion and the way that we're positioning, and I think you've said it before on another episode or we've talked about it, is it kind of is a bit of a stock picking market at the moment rather than just tracking the index, looking at individual businesses. I mean, we're hoping that we look back in five years and we think what a bargain that was. You know, look at strong businesses, balance sheet, free cash flow, or look at themes that you think are going to do really well in the next 10 to 20 years because you're going to pick up some bargains. Well said. And if we come back to as as we started this episode with, let's think of the facts. So in the space of two weeks, the dot plot for the US um, future cash rate and the Australian one really dramatically swung in both directions. But here's the latest numbers. So the dot plot for the US has now priced in uh, a, a drop in rates very slowly by September 2023 down to 46 but still remaining high above 3.5% 
out through to June 2024. Yes, I agree. And for Australia's case, the latest dot plot suggests we might start to see rates drop slowly in September 2023 down to 3.4%, but still staying above the 2% RBA cash rate at 3.28 out until June 2024. I'm quite happy with that because that's what it was pre-COVID and my loan comes off in, my fixed portion of my loan comes off in November. So that would be quite lucky. But the question still remains, how can you best protect your investment portfolio in such uncertainty? Now with the recent market sell-off we've seen in the past couple of weeks, years, what have you been buying? At last time, as a reminder, we actually mentioned 10 ideas to own for the next 10 years. So we had BHP, CBA, IEL, REA, Sun, TCL, TLC, WES, WOR and WTC. Interesting, literally since we dropped that episode like two weeks ago, CBA is now sell more so than ever with the whole concerns in the banking world. So it just shows how quickly markets can move. But I guess if you've got a low cost base in CBA and you know, you're not concerned, it, we won't get back to $30, for example, if that happens to be your cost base then you probably don't need to sell. You don't need to sell. No, like Australian banks have a really solid balance sheet, right? So I'm not too worried about that. And this is really short term. You know, we're talking more 10 years invested here. Yeah, if you're a trader, you could have definitely made some serious return on investment uh, in the last, you know, two weeks, right? But given everything that's happened and we aren't short-term traders, we wanted to hash out a few more names to the list. Some of our preferred ASX blue chip names, we argue, have now been beaten up in the markets and have been sold off enough to become even more of a buying opportunity. These names we're about to present fall into our quality value bucket within the ASX. And we think they're worth looking at if you haven't got them into the portfolio already. um, And if you're thinking at least sort of the next six to 12 months to hold on to them. So I'll go first. Wally was actually number nine in the previous episode, but I want to reiterate it because it has been sold off a lot. So Wally, again, the code is WOR, which is a professional services provider to businesses in the resource energy industrial sector. Now, this is the opportunity. The stock's been sold off about 14% in the past few weeks. Uh, We actually believe through our research analyst here at UBS that there's a 10-year EPS CAGR of 10%. Current work in the pipeline is sustainable at 44%, but it's actually going to grow in terms of the pipeline up to 66% with ambitious to hit 75% capacity by 2026. So this for us is a structural growth story. And with the recent US investor meetings, it really showed the upbeat management and skipping their step, I'm going to say, managing the people and the inflation really well relative to industry and peers. Consensus, if we're looking at right now, based on the facts known of recording, which is the 28th of March, upside of about 15% to reach the valuation of $15.76. That's the price target. Large cap, as it's got a market cap of $7.2 billion, and the dividend per share estimate is sitting around $0.48 cents to be paid out by June 2023 being about a 3.5% yield. Okay, that's really interesting. So we've got 
Worley. So W-O-R, reiterating that by. Okay, then we've got South32, the mining company which has spun out of BHP. Now, the stock has pulled off about 13% since recent early March highs, making a clear shift towards futures-facing metals from 50-50 metals bulks to 85-15. They're actually increasing their copper exposure and structural conditions supportive for metcoal, alumina, zinc prices remaining higher for longer. That was all in our episode episode with Owen Hegarty, where he said he's red gold. So that's definitely a positive for South 32. Then we've obviously got longer term conviction in AI and battery grade. Now, South 32 has a market cap of 19.2 billion, consensus upside of 21.8% to reach a price target of $5.10 in the next 12 months. Now, dividend per share estimates of 0.2 cents per share for June 2023, being about a 4.7% yield. That's quite good. So we've got some double digit upsides and a nice healthy dividend yield. Yeah. And I think as we always say in really uncertain times, people do flush to the stronger balance sheets with lots of free cash flow and a dividend payout ratio that's attractive, you know, of plus 4%, ideally five. Now this next one is more of a, you know, known growth stock in the market, but we still think it's worth noting. So computer share, the code CPU, margins have been tougher, um, you know, in the forecast given the rates volatility, but most of the outlook that we're seeing is that the investor focus and price activity is driven by FX and not the company fundamentals. 40% upside we see to the UBS price target of $29 per share, which is based on, you know, mainly the synergies from Wells Fargo acquisition still to play out. Yeah, that's really good. So... 40% upside, double digit, hey? And that would have been quite a good inflation play too. Okay, so what is the market cap of computer share? Another big one, about $12.66 billion at the moment. The street, however, believes, different to UBS, about 32% upside to reach their price target of $29.97. Dividends per estimate of $0.82 cents per share, paying out all the data that we're talking about is by June 2023, by the way. And that, Felicity, is about a 3.8 dividend return. Um, then we've got A2 Milk. Right. So the well-known A2 protein branded milk products, the stock rallied post-China reopening and has shown evidence of a strong market presence in surveys. However, the stock is off 15% for the last two weeks. Buy case is on brand recognition, online hit surveys and indicators that costs are falling. So we're still really positive of A2 Milk and they've got a really good management with really strong execution on their strategy. Now we all know A2 Milk was once an ASX darling, but the market cap now is $4.2 billion. Now consensus this implied upside of 8.5% to reach $6.35. Now, this is a growth stock. There's no dividend forecast here. Yeah. And it might not ever, right? Because it's sort of always had an execution from the management to reinvest into you know future growth in different markets. Next up, I'm going to bundle two together, which is within the energy sector, Santos and Woodside, SDO and WDS. Both are two of our preferred energy names in the ASX top 100. With Woodside, we'd like it given the exposure to spot oil price and the outlook for the next six months. 
And we're also liking Santos as it has a clearer near-term catalyst in our opinion and to date better capital management track record. Both stocks we think will perform well into the calendar year of 2023. Market caps are ginormous for both of them. Santos a little bit smaller at 22 billion versus Woodside at 61.9 billion. Both stocks forecasting super attractive returns in the form of dividends. Woodside by December 2023 has a yield predicted of 8.1% or $2.66 per share and Santos with a dividend per share of 34 cents with a pay that's about a payout ratio of 5%. Both have upside um, in double digits. Love love love. Santos to reach the street consensus of $9.10 price target which is about 32% upside and Woodside sitting around 37.49 about 15% upside on current levels. Our final stock is DMP or Domino's Pizza. Now, the pizza business has been really controversial as of late in terms of their financials, but there's a lot of interest in this one locally on the back of the big pullback in price. The cost concerns for Domino's are still very well known right in the market. And it's obviously a very tough macro environment to push through, but it's still a very extremely high quality business with a really good track record. You probably need about an 18 month plus view here. Now, consensus price target on the street is $60.96, implying a 24.6% upside. So another double digit. The market cap is $4.3 billion. Now, it's still seen as a growth name, but it's offering a quite a nice dividend at one and a half percent dividend yields or 67 cents per share. So there you go, guys. A few more ASX quality value names we would argue worth looking and adding to your portfolio and potentially your watch list for 2023. Let us know what you think about our latest ideas and the reiterate on Wally and what you're adding to the portfolio in and amongst all this volatility. You can do that by reaching out to us via email at tmtm at equitymates.com. That's it. Or you can send us a message on our Instagram. Lastly, before we sign off, please remember that although Candice and I are financial advisors at Shore and Partners, please note our discussion today does not constitute as personal financial advice. As always, you should seek professional advice before making any financial or investment decisions. Everything is based on facts known at the time, which is the 28th of the 3rd, 2023. And also, if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star review or share it with your family and friends. Now, given all the volatility in the market, we are going to sit down with a really interesting guest very soon on the podcast who is involved in the gold sector, which we think you need to hear this story. Absolutely. So stay tuned. Until next time. See you then. Talk Money to Me is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money to Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. 
In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.